Simon, how's it going? You know what, Dave? Um, we spoke about the rugby, didn't we, the other day? And yeah. I, I actually did them a disservice. I said, I thought it could be a cricket score. Now, the Argentinians, yeah. they did get the cricket score. It was quite a big one, but you expect that. I was surprised by uh, the South Africans. It looked like they were just all over the show to start off with. Um, yeah, but fair play to their coaches. They made changes, didn't they? They made big changes. Yeah. And I'm still bewildered by scrums. I am still like, what is the purpose of a scrum? Because we lost that, we lost that game on scrums, and then you get a penalty for not doing it quite right. So if you've got a pack that's super heavy and can just bully you, they win by bullying, um, uh, which obviously must be an, an interesting thing to get to a semi-final, and then you just seem to get, um, you know, squashed almost a penalty, and then they get past. Yeah. You. you need um, good props. That's the problem at the moment. I know our, our team just seems to get squeezed out a bit. Well, you know, fair play to the South Africans. I suppose that's what makes you world champions, isn't it? Is that ability to keep going and, um, you know, grind out a result, even though you're not playing that well. So nah. I, I was impressed. It, you know, I thought I was going to be a bit embarrassed. Uh, the cricket's not been great, to be fair, as it, we keep losing. Nah. I don't know what's happened there, so <laughs> I haven't been following that. Yeah, that's um, not meant to the cricket. I think I think we're as good as out, really. But it's it's great to have someone with a different golfing oh well, golfing but sporting background. You know we've got someone from the world of golf today, and um, you know I first met Gavin uh, Grenville Woods, where I'd listened to him on a podcast before, and he said, "Look, if anyone wants to get in contact, have a chat with me," and we did. We had a conversation. It must be over a year and a half ago now. It must be about that, about coaching and his approach to coaching, which I think. Um, the people who listen to us, especially from the coaching world, will find fascinating because it's something that motivated me to contact him out of the blue and say, look, can I learn a little bit more? Um, so, you know, I'm really pleased that he's, he's um, agreed to come on and just take us through his thoughts. So, Gavin, welcome to the, the podcast. As I said, it's great to have you on and be able to have another chat with you about all things coaching, but whatever you want to talk about today. Um, so how you been? How you been keeping? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Um, slightly appalled by the standard of refereeing, but don't get me get me started yeah. on the Premier League. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm still I'm waiting for the latest PGMOL apology for um, for the game at Stamford Bridge on Saturday evening, which uh, which I thought was horrendous performance um, of refereeing. But hey ho, we'll 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 move on swiftly. No, what team? Go on. What team do you follow then? Because I want to see which side you're, you're griping. Is it um, Jesus getting wiped out, or? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm the red and white. I'm the red and white side of of London, and yeah. Um, yeah, I have been for over thirty years. Actually, my first game. You'll appreciate this. My first game watching Arsenal was at Anfield in 1989. That was the game. <laughs> Um, wow. I yeah, was very lucky yeah. to get a ticket to go to that, and uh, ever since then I've I've been a gooner. So, but I'm um, not surprised. It's yeah. one of those games that yeah. just um, you know make you fall in love with it, won't it? Was you, crazy. You, the drama I, that. That's right. I, I lived in the Isle of Man at the time, and I had I'd never been to a game before. I watched it at three o'clock on a Sunday afternoon after golf, and um, that was my only experience prior to that. But um, yeah, since then it's just been a a proper roller coaster of emotions and my moods. Um, for the ensuing three or seven days are really dependent on the quality of the performance <laughs> and the result, of course. Yeah. So uh, it's, I can't deny it either. I just can't, I can't get away from it. 
I just it's crazy it's like an addiction it's horrible it's hooked into <laughs> you that, that's yeah. the thing isn't it because yeah. i always found night games were the best games as well when you go to watch yeah. a night game and then it's a night game that's of that sort of standard it's very difficult not to fall in love with football. I wish my son would have had the opportunity to come to Fratton Park with me because I'm a Portsmouth fan on a night game because it's just a different experience. It bounces, doesn't it? And it glows in yeah. the dark. I remember the, the Highbury years and, and you know, you'd stand up and the, the seats, the chairs would, would, would smack the back of the chair and just make a heck of a noise. And um, just the whole environment and atmosphere was just really enclosed. And it was it was goosebumps you know just yeah the evening games were, were really really special um yeah. but it's funny we talk about football because i and obviously you know supporting arsenal i, I massively uh, enjoyed the um all or nothing documentary and really understanding how Mikel arteta turned the fortunes of the entire club around mm. um and i think there's so many lessons to learn but i mean i look at the attention to detail in every single area and um just i'm in awe of what he's actually created it's 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 phenomenal i mean i've fallen back in love with the team again and and you know best described for me and my experiences are that i know what i'm going to get when i go and watch a game now mm -hmm. whereas five years ago you had no idea what was going to happen and it's very difficult to get behind the team but now you, you just want every single one of them to succeed and um you know my my uh my replica shirt last season was granite jacket because i just love the turnaround <laughs> in his fortunes you know and yes. from a guy that had everything bar his left foot through the exit door suddenly turning around telling his his family that they weren't moving um to then stick it out for a couple more years because of what arteta had said to him and and the vision that he portrayed was just phenomenal and i, I just i love that and i and i i've really enjoyed getting to understand more about how he operates these non-negotiables that mm -hmm. people buy into the culture that he creates and i talk a lot about culture in my own coaching business and the environment that we try to create because it's it's within that environment and subsequent culture that players are allowed to express themselves without fear of of failure or without um fear of, of screwing up you know it's it's uh you can really see that and i think you can see that because the, the gary nevels of this world um really clearly don't understand the goalkeeping scenario at arsenal i mean i i think david raya's in goal because he's he's got small percentage gains over ramsdale which is probably what you need to win this league but yeah. the mistakes that are perceivably down to that david raya has perceivably made in the last two or three games i don't see as mistakes i see as consequences of an evolution to a certain way of playing i mean the 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 um the fluke chip cross goal that mudrick scored at the weekend hmm. um you know it's it's it had to be a, a perfect set of circumstances for that to go in right and um david raya's positioning is where he's been told and what they've trained for him to 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 be yeah. right so and that's that's part of how they want to 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 play and to create that positioning and he well, i think what what gary neville failed to to um to acknowledge is that david raya um i don't know whether he catches the most crosses in the league or not but it's just down to his starting position he is able to claim more crosses and and there are there are so many benefits towards that and it's the other part of it which is where he he obviously gave 
the ball away in that Chelsea match and and they nearly scored from it but they're trying to they're trying to suck the the the, the Chelsea front line in to create mm. space to move the ball into uh, and and it's I understand the tactic but you know it's not going to work perfectly every time but you you see that the players have um have been given license to to express themselves and if they if they screw it up they make a mistake they make a mistake they get to they get together as a team and they move on from it and i think what's really incredible is just the number of times this arsenal team has come back from the dead um to rescue a point or a victory i mean on numerous occasions last season the bournemouth match obviously sticks out the villa match sticks out but um, it's just that's the culture that you want, you know, that never say die attitude and every single player fighting for themselves. And I know people ridiculed uh, Kai Havertz getting uh, getting the ball to score the penalty a couple of weeks ago. I mean, that's just part of the team culture that's been created and they all collectively want him to succeed. And you've got just so much evidence to suggest that every one of those players is fighting for each other and it must be an amazing environment to be in absolutely mm-hmm. it's it's kind of spine tingling spine tingling you know how i was reading last week about um i think wenger had come back to the club for like a lunch in his honor and they and they unveiled a statue obviously how things ended with wenger was a bit um there was obviously a lot of fans calling for him to go and stuff like that how did how do you reflect on i suppose uh, i suppose there's two elements to the to wenger isn't there there's um maybe the end and then what happened before the end like how do you look upon like what happened with wenger i felt really sorry for him because um he just transformed our entire club you know um and he i'll be honest he transformed english football as for well sure. for sure um and he took it to alex ferguson and and um just i i think he, he wasn't paid enough respect i still think that he was probably in in situ for a little bit too long but yeah he had to deal with so many um challenges you know the balance in the books the new stadium um causing much of that but I think that the 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 owners of the club at the time didn't quite appreciate the the strength of of the support and the passion that the supporters have for the club, which yeah. they obviously realise now, and they realise what they've got in their hands, and they've got a monster on their hands in a good way. Um, so I think times around when he he left are are well put behind us, and lessons have been learned. Um, but it was sad to see. The demise of of a genius and somebody who did so much for the club and gave us so many unbelievable moments that I still look back on with um, with great fondness. You know, when I need a little pick me up, I'll just go and flick on a video. And um, yeah, there we go. I mean, we had uh, Mark Rivers, who's the pre academy manager at Arsenal, on, and he also referenced the culture that he experiences mm. and uh, how it's almost like a level playing field in a lot of ways. And he shared a lot of messages with us afterwards that he was getting from Arsenal staff who would say, oh, I just listened to your podcast with uh, Simon and David and uh, really found your story interesting. And, you know, thanks for, for, for doing that. So he, he said it goes all the way through the club. It's not just, yeah. um, you know, yeah, in that. that elite environment. It's, yeah. it's um, something that's just embedded within them um which is great to hear that you know those young people at those environments are experiencing you know top level coaching but also the support 
that they require mm. to then be nurtured to go on and become the players they're they're going to become. So, yeah. in relation to coaching, then um, you know, in your own philosophy on that, where would you go back to? Where does that come from? You know, how did you get to shape the way that you do things now? Um, I I often refer to a syndrome uh, called FPS, which is failed player syndrome, which um, I, I it's it's a in, in my own mind, it's 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 a fairly derogatory term in, in, in context. But I've suffered from that and I, I was never good enough mentally to to make it as a player. And I, I, I harbored dreams as a youngster of playing um, like every young young kid kind of does, you know, whatever sport it was. But um it was I, I fell into my coaching um love affair really back in the mid nineties. Um I I turned pro when I was sixteen. Um and when I started my apprenticeship, you'll appreciate this because it's a it's a it's a bit of a shocker. But I was um I was sixteen years old and I was told by my boss um at the time to go and coach at the local high school and so i loaded a black bin of golf balls onto the back of a buggy i took some steel shafted five irons and headed on down to our 16th hole cut through the fence and onto the school playing field and um there i am greeted by the pe teacher and about 40 15 year olds <laughs> and i'm supposed to teach these guys yeah and uh no no training just thrown in at the deep end and i'm amazed that nobody died i mean we didn't even break a window and we should have done but it was complete carnage i had no idea what i was doing um of course now at the ripe old age of 51 you put me in that environment then i would probably thrive mm. um I, I i love that I, I love teaching lots large numbers of kids and and you know I, the energy is is what i really feed off but um it wasn't that was like in the in the late 80s but it wasn't until the mid 90s when i was in america that i really fell into um into coaching kids particularly and trying to inspire them to uh, play the game for a lifetime and that's that's really all i'm about and you know the more the more i experience the more i research and the more i document what i do the clearer it becomes to me that the the important part of any sport in my mind is the foundational years um, where you have to create enough love in that particular sport for the children to want to get good enough at it without that love they're not going to be they're not going to be able to pull themselves through the tough times of that transition from being a recreational uh, player to an elite level player right the journey is 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 tough and um you know when you become a teenager your relationship with the sport changes mm -hmm. and you get enjoyment in a completely different way than if you were 10 years old so um and there's so many other things going on right not, not least um puberty growth spurts secondary school boyfriends girlfriends whatever um mm -hmm. all these other pressures from from peers and friends and family whatever it, it's it's a massive impact on a, on a young person's life and um golf is is a great vehicle to kind of develop a young person but unless they really love golf um or indeed any other sport then unfortunately i think with the pressures that goes on and around it we see a very very high drop off 
in participation rates when they become teenagers. You know, it's it's, it's between 60 and 70 percent now, mm-hmm. um, which is shocking. So the only way we can arrest that decline in, in, in my book is to go back and really kind of bed the foundation between the ages of five and 12 um, and, and create that love for the sport that means they'll come back to it, even if they take a couple of years off through the carnage of their 13th and 14th year. Um, but they'll come back to it if they love it. And uh, then you have a chance of them playing to a fairly decent standard. And that, that shouldn't necessarily be the goal, but just playing for a lifetime should be. And I suppose with golf uh, as well, obviously as an individual, do you think, I suppose, those outside pressures is is magnified when it is an individual sport versus, say, like a football team? In yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. You can kind of get away with going to the pub quite a lot, I imagine, <laughs> with a football team versus, you know, yeah. uh, if you, you <laughs> on can't your own. hide. Yeah, you can't hide on the golf course. And, and one of the, uh, the, the number one thing that I want that 12 year old to be when they kind of leave school at the age of 12, I want them to be responsible and mm-hmm. responsible and indeed accountable for their own outcomes. And when they hit a golf shot, I don't want them to look around over their shoulder and blame somebody else. I want them to accept that they made a decision to execute a particular shot based on the information that they had at that particular moment. And that's when we can really start to coach them and to provide them with the skills that they need to overcome the challenges that they face on the golf course. So, I mean, if you have a, um, if you have a par 72 course, you've got in my book 72 challenges that they need to find solutions for so they're not going to overcome every single challenge but there are three four five different ways to overcome each one of those challenges and some will have varying degrees of success and there will be some solutions that aren't particularly good but you know it's it's you constantly have to feed uh, their knowledge banks and continue to provide them with that information so that they can access it when they're in a particular moment or a situation and then they can own that that moment so you know it's, I mean our conversation is evolving really nicely now I think and and going into um, where children young adults when they they play our sport they have just one chance to hit one good shot you can't do over so, you know, we've got to make sure that they have the knowledge. We then have to make sure that they have the ability to apply that knowledge in a practical sense. And then they've got to be able to go off and practice that all by themselves, knowing what right and wrong is in context. But, it, you know, in, in, in situ on the golf course, it, it's really difficult. You've got to hit the nail on the head almost every single time to, to get the, the outcomes that you need. So... I want them to be responsible for their decision making and they've got to um they've got to accept that and talking about failure and that failure is is okay it's it's absolutely a huge part of their progress and they've got to embrace that and it's something that I wish I'd have known with my kids growing up because it just emotionally it would have been a lot easier mm. to um to communicate when you can say look you know what you're going to fail at some point and it's going to be an absolute car wreck um you know it, the wheels are going to come off you're going to be very emotional it's going to be painful you're going to start screaming and shouting getting angry you might throw a club whatever it might be um but if you can prepare them for it and, and they know it and you can you can frame it around the fact that it's a necessity and it's it's a huge part of learning you can say to them well you know what you're in the learning zone right now you know soak it up 
soak up what you're experiencing and what you're feeling and use that as fuel and energy for what you know you need to acquire in in the forthcoming days and weeks in order for this not to happen again a mistake's only a mistake if you don't learn from it right Mm. exactly yeah (laughs) so how is how is this coaching journey you took us back to the school in your very first one Mm. then you you referenced america um so if you gave our listeners a little bit of a potted history of what's helped shape you because i imagine when you first started learning to play it would have been probably drill focused or very much a rotate way and that's just me assuming but how about how have you got to this more nuanced holistic place you know Give us a, a little bit of a background of how you've sort of plotted through and how these big shifts have started to come about. I'm so happy this is a four-hour podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I um, I never had a golf lesson until I was 21. Mm. And I started when I was 14. And I literally, <laughs> on my 14th birthday, I was at boarding school in the Isle of Man. Um, I was injured from cricket. I had a knee injury. So, yeah, let's go play golf, right? um but um my mother took me to the local pro shop literally down the road i paid my one pound membership bought a half set of clubs uh i bought a golf glove that i can still smell today and a (laughs) a sleeve of three yellow slasinger b51 xd golf balls with seve ballesteros on the side and i went out to play and i played from the wrong tees to the wrong greens i got shouted at and abused by all the members because they were playing their monthly medal and that was my baptism into golf and um it was a slightly rocky experience but um i loved it enough and i ended up you know boarding school playing at 3 34 in the morning before mm-hmm. school i played 36 holes before my history gcse uh got a b by the way um <laughs> so that was that was that was me very very quickly falling in love with the sport um and it you know that my first real experience into proper coaching was in america at summer camp i was at university did an exchange program went to philadelphia and um just saw something completely different you know in the mornings we'd we'd um provide opportunity for them to develop certain skills and in the afternoon we'd go onto the golf course and put that into practice but i just loved the way that americans did things and i took coaching at the time as well uh from uh the the pro marion golf club he was very kind of to help me um and really when i came back after you know a bit of traveling and and a bit of doing this that and the other after uni i i fell into a position in london um and our driving range was 45 yards long constructed off a crown green bowling green and um we put uh there were kind of 12 sets of rsjs and the netting went up at an angle to the to the back and he just simply hit balls in this 45 yard long enclosure um and the 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 golf course was a nine hole course um constructed off football fields they moved some earth um you know uh i think what do they what do they call that where they 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 bring in all sorts of different rubble and stuff um anyway. like a brown fields yeah, yeah 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 landfill there you go yeah oh, landfill. um so uh it wasn't the best of facilities but the location was amazing and um i started coaching i remember actually because just before that when we got back from the states i started i, I started a part-time job um working for dhl at Heathrow airport sorting mail mm-hmm. at night time doing a night shift and um it didn't pay particularly well and i never saw my uh 
uh, girlfriend, fiance, wife to be at that time very much because she worked during the day. I got this job and I on my first day, I remember uh, delivering two lessons and um, I closed the shop, which I got into trouble for because I was supposed to be looking after the shop and went and did these two lessons and they both wanted to do some packages. So I had no idea what I was doing. So I charged them 300 quid for six lessons and they each paid 300 quid in cash. And I was sitting on the train going from Wimbledon <laughs> to Hounslow, where we had a, a one bedroom bedsit in Hounslow on the flight path, counting 600 quid on the train, just like literally just doing this one. This is amazing. This coaching business is pretty cool. I can, I can make a living at this. And and the rest is almost history. But it was a, a, a mum that came to me. I was teaching her son. She's like, oh, he's got um, he's got some friends coming over for um, I think it was Thomas. She said, Thomas got some friends coming over for a sleepover. Um, do you mind teaching them at the same time? Uh, there'll be there'll be three friends. So there'll be four of them. I'm like, sure, yeah, but I'll have to charge you for the kids. And I basically very very quickly in the space of ten minutes came up with the concept of of the after school club was for kids a group lesson for kids um that i put on and, and i charged them i think back in those days it was it was maybe 50 quid for the term uh they got 10 weeks and maximum groups of 12 and um yeah that was it it grew we had 400 kids coming per week for coaching lessons uh at this crazy little facility um my colleague was delivering a, an adult program as well at the time he had 350 adults per week coming we just it was it was unbelievable and we were literally printing cash um and, and it wasn't that we were overcharging it was just we did such a great job um the word of mouth spread and and we just we couldn't cope uh it was so busy um and there was an element of burnout a little bit towards the end of that but um the after school club concept where I teach kids in their age groups um, was born, really. And um, when I look back at what I did in those days where there was no science, I had no formal education around coaching. I did what I felt was right. Some stuff was was not so good. I mean, the technical side of my coaching was horrendous. Um, didn't really know what I was doing. But uh, what I was really good at was building relationships and, and inspiring um, players and, and particularly the kids and creating an environment and a culture that they couldn't get enough of. And, um, you know, these kids would play competitions every single weekend. I mean, it was unbelievable what what we actually did uh, in, in a very kind of substandard facility, but um, a really good, a really good lesson. And what has been really good looking back out, looking back on those times is um, now now I've done research and I've read a lot and, and I've spoken to a lot of experts. What I did back in those days just resonates with how we need to do things today. Um, and that's 20 odd years ago, 25 years ago. Um, and and, I, and that's lucky. That's really lucky. But that's the bedrock of everything I've done since then, whether it's this side of the pond or, or the other side of the pond. And I guess just fast forwarding a little bit to where I'm at and where I've been the last six or seven years in a position where I've become a student again, a student of the game where I, I conduct my own study and research. I read, I talk to people, I listen, I I try things out, I document them down and I formulate my own methodology around coaching kids. And uh, what has amazed me in that in the last you know six, seven years is that six years ago is is irrelevant now it's evolved so much even since then 
and the stuff that I'm doing now, even like yesterday, I did some something different yesterday. Just a little tweak, but just it just blows my mind. It was it was phenomenal, and, and I, I say it's phenomenal, which sounds a little modest, but I only react to how the kids reacted to the environment that I've created for them. Um, and yesterday, uh, I. I, I compartmentalized four different areas yesterday for the first time. And, and I say for the first time, um, it was the first time that I'd, I'd had a real kind of solid structure and there were different sections that, that were very identifiable. The first section, the kids were given a challenge, which was they had to play nine holes on the putting green. Um, the, the challenge was that gold standard was taking 18 shots silver was 19 and bronze was 21 uh, and of all the kids that did it not one of them got bronze i think the best were 23 shots mm-hmm. so once they'd done that challenge um that i got them to write their scores on the whiteboard and then i sat them down away from the putting green and um, asked them to tell me why they scored what they scored and i wanted them to tell me what they thought they needed to learn or what skill they needed in order to be better. And they told me what it was. And, and putting's really simple, right? It's, you either don't hit it online or you hit it too hard or too soft. So mm-hmm. it's it's really simple. So we were getting one of one or two responses. So I said, okay, very good. So what and then and then my next point to them was what sort of attitude do we need to have in place in order to uh facilitate the development of these particular skills, these mini skills as I call them. Um, and then they, they, you know, they started telling me about uh, listening, concentrating, focusing, persevering. Then one kid said uh, responsibility and then another kid said accountability. And this is like music to my ears. Um, and so we talked about what the meanings of these words were and, and how that fitted into how they develop as players. And uh, when I talk about players, I mean, that's a very loose term in this concept because I just want them to focus on this very, very small task of um, getting a, 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 a medal, a bronze, a silver or a gold and trying to see, get them to see that if they make a small change in what they do, it can have a huge effect on the outcome. Um, so it's like, well, how do we all at least get to score 21 and get a bronze medal for this? Um, so just towards the end of our little sit down, I said, right, stage three you have to set a game a challenge an activity a drill all by yourself that helps you develop the skill that you've identified you have a problem with mm-hmm. um and so they went off and did it and we gave them 45 minutes to an hour to come up with some some, some stuff and i didn't and this is the whole point of this right teaching and co- coaching and teaching are two very different things but I, i'm not so sure that teaching really should come into coaching certainly in golf in this in this concept i'm presenting because um i feel that we can only start to communicate or to transfer uh technical knowledge once we've been invited to do so and that invitation for me has to come when a kid asks a kid asks the question and when a kid asks the question, they're asking the question on their terms, in their own way, using their own language. That, that enables us to communicate back to them in their language, on their terms. And um, we can then steer a conversation down the route towards the obvious outcome. And 
even if a kid does ask me a question, I'm probably going to respond with another question. Mm -hmm. So I want the kid to tell me the answer that I know that I could tell them. But that's simply too easy. You know, letting them set up a game and a challenge all by themselves for 45 minutes is long enough, but it's not enough. And you've got to just take it deeper and take it deeper. And you've got to get them to a point where they're starting to critically analyze what they're actually doing. So my question to, to one kid yesterday was, is your challenge that you set up goal orientated or process orientated? And they thought about it and then they they, they said, oh, it's it's goal orientated. Said, how is it that how is that goal orientated exercise that you've created going to help you change the process or change your outcome? And they're like, it's not. So got them to think differently about it. And um, I posted a little video yesterday on my my channels, which um, just gave us a little snapshot of two kids who'd worked together to come up with a drill that um, delivered both a process driven exercise and an outcome driven exercise all in the same game which was phenomenal and I, I had no input into that except mm. for steering them down that uh, that road and making sure that they they had a chance of coming up with the right outcome but um and then the fourth part of this whole exercise was they redo the challenge and every single one of these kids basically improved mm. um even if it was by one shot, there was improvement. But that's that's irrelevant. Even if if that hadn't happened, the success point was the process that all the kids went through for three hours on on Monday morning yesterday, um, and the journey that they went on to feel that level of ownership over them learning, and they all felt massively empowered. And I I said that what we did yesterday was phenomenal. It's phenomenal because I saw the looks in their faces. I could see how engaged they were and what they were driven to try and achieve throughout that session. They were empowered to go through the three hour process that I knew we were going to go through. And that for me, if, 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 if that's a mini snapshot, that's what we've got to do on a consistent basis as coaches. If we want these kids to fall in love with the sport, because it's these mini victories, these little wins that we can have, they'll all bank into that experience that they have. And that, and, and that ultimately forms their deep rooted love for the sport. They love that feeling of attainment and satisfaction when they've achieved something all by themselves. You know, if you flip that on its head and you, 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 uh, you come to me at 20 past nine in, in, in an opposite world, you'd see me. Um, telling them how to putt. Well, this is how you putt, guys. This is how you got to go and do it right now. Go and do it. That lasts mm. for ten minutes, and they're bored. Yeah, you do, know. But do you think with golf, like I suppose I need to be honest about this. I I like golf. I love golf. So I'm literally probably not coming at this from a. I'm probably quite biased, but it, with a with a sport like golf, where you know it, it can be highly frustrating. Um, there's there's a lot of ups and downs. I suppose if we call it that, with trying to get kids to love um in the case of sport do you think it is key to break it down into constituent kind of like these games like you 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 spoke about there to get people interested or do you think just golf in its true form is 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 enough i, I, I when i started playing golf i i loved just going out and hitting balls um on the course and playing 18 holes or nine holes but i don't know if that was just because I was so interested in golf or do you know what I mean? Do you have to break it down to get that higher love for the from children these days? 
there are so many layers mm. to that david so many layers to that um th these kids uh yesterday afternoon played nine holes right so um we have to create the experience for them first so they know what it is they've got to learn yeah there's no point in you coming to me david for a lesson tomorrow and um me just jumping into some technical stuff if you came to see me tomorrow we go and play on the course yeah I'd, I'd go and see for myself and you see for yourself what you actually need to to have change in your technical approach to score better um and we have to understand what you want from it as well by the way and the goals that you want to put in place um we, we've got to create something functional that's going to lead towards you achieving those goals but with with, with kids this is a long-term process right we've got to stick at this for a while and i'm actually trying to get kids to fall more in love with learning than i am with the sport because i think that's the secret source because if they fall in love with learning then you can actually box this up and take it to every sport that they play and i want kids to play every sport i want them to be multi-sport athletes and to enjoy yeah. that because i think that's the that's the heart and soul of a healthy life for me that you know i'm pretty sure you probably would agree um but if you if you have a, a great attitude to learning then you, you're more than likely going to be quite good at the sport that's my yeah. view um and golf is particularly tricky because i think it's the only sport that you can't perfect um, you can have a perfect game where you keep a clean sheet as a keeper or score a hat trick. You can win a race and score a world, make a world record. You can score one four seven in snooker. You can you can have a nine dart finish in darts. Whatever, whatever, right? You, but I think golf, you just you can't get eighteen hole and ones. It's impossible. <laughs> so if that's the perfection mechanism, um, so yeah, this relationship we're learning is 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 probably the, the the bone i've got between my teeth right now and what i'm really trying to to explore and to go deeper into um kids don't have learning styles as uh, i don't think that exists as such it's it's more about just this journey that the kids have to go on actually any student so it's not just kids by the way because i'm adopting this whole process with adults as well particularly women that we're trying to encourage into the game right now we've got a specific program that we are putting in place there um but beginners really um you know let them a, a beginners group lesson for me should start on the golf course we're very lucky to have our 11th hole which is over water and that's our water challenge and that's the first place we go to for a group of beginners right there's a stick there's a ball whack it over off you go and and we have a bit of fun with it and but they, they start to suddenly realize and this is the thing for me how many times have you been in a lesson whether it's at school or something where you've not known why you're learning it. I wish I'd have known why I learned Latin at school, because I would now realize that it's the it's the the root of all most most all languages in the Western world. Um, and it's like, well, if I'd have known that, I'd have probably concentrated a bit more. But nobody told me that it was that. And so it was just this crazy stuff that I had to repeat and learn word for word. And I was bored by it um but it's the same with 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 with, that, with kids particularly now it's like well they need to know why they're learning something why yeah. have their parents brought them to this place to drop them off and have a have a golf lesson mm. you know inspire them to play inspire <laughs> them to learn inspire them to be better and inspire them to to be the best version of themselves that they can possibly be and, and golf's a great facilitator for that i mean in coaching in football coach coach education which is in my background as you, as you know, Gavin, it was when people came to us, it's what do you already know? What's motivated you to attend this next stage of your development? What would success look like for you? And how can I help? 
How can I add value? What do you want? And then, like you said, through that discussion, um, whether they're fully aware or not of what they actually want, I think that's where you explore it with them, isn't it? Where you yeah. go, you know what? You, you give me some ideas. I think I can add value. And this is where we can explore that space a little bit more. Uh, you know, in that pedagogical problem-solving approach where it's like, you know, let's just mess about with some things and see what comes out of the back of it is the most engaging process because the person's coming to you with their motivations and success criteria. And I think that was the problem we used to have in football coach education years ago. And I think speaking to you last time, you, you mentioned you did used to coach your own son's football team, I think. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, um, you know, it, it's those challenges. We used to give people stuff and then hope it would stick. Where you're going, well, it's not, it's not, that. that's not the way. People need to be engaged, like you said, and with the desire to go, I want to do this because it's meeting a problem that I face, a challenge that I face. Yeah. And can you help me overcome that? So where did your sort of approach because it sounds like when you were you know smashing it with the the the, the previous organization numbers wise and engagement wise <clears throat> you, you were saying you were you were really guided by your intuition yeah so, you know yeah, for sure. yeah, what was same, it, yeah what yeah. was it that what do you think can you pinpoint why your intuition was so strong to that approach was it something you were like this is know. how i would like to be taught or you know um what sort of age were you at that time yeah, in I left the UK the first time in well for the, for the longest time in two thousand and two, and when I was thirty, and I went to America for for seven years, and um, same thing there, right? It was just it was all feel. I, I started to equip myself with a bit better technical understanding and knowledge, um, and then even when I came back to the UK two thousand nine to two thousand thirteen, it was just all about setting up the environment um and you know setting up a pathway that kids could go through and our pathway during that period 2009 to 2013 was all school related so you you we, we had all the kids playing in different leagues very similar to the football league and um we'd have 150 kids playing in these leagues every weekend on a saturday and a sunday and actually the first term i did this I had a relegation in there as well, but that didn't work. <laughs> That's not good. Um, so the, a season would be a term. Um, and actually, the promotion element of it would be score-based. So once mm -hmm. you scored a certain number off the tees that you were playing, you got promoted to the next division. And it worked really well. And it, it basically started on the junior tees for nine holes, and then it went all the way up to... 18 holes off the white tees with no handicap so there were massive groups in between that mm. but i look the heart and soul of everything is playing right these kids have to play and they have to play competitively um because without competition there's no thirst for knowledge either so everything we do everything that we do is, is competition based and you can have different forms of competition whether it's 1v1 uh, or 1v12 whatever it could be teams of two teams of three teams of five whatever um, because all will create a different dynamic and different motivations. And so there's got to be a balance with all of that. And that's how you can have a very competitive environment. Um, and, and I think your skill as a coach would be that it doesn't come across that way, but you know that it is. Mm. Um, but playing, I think, Simon, is, 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 the, is 
the one thing that's been common as a theme all the way through is that the kids have always played comp- competitively on the course every weekend mm-hmm. um and it's we've reacted to that in different ways as coaches and i think um the difference with where i'm at now is that we are there's an element of reaction to what they did but this is so much now more about um a proactive approach to arming them with the skills and the tools to overcome the 36 different challenges that they might face for their nine holes or the 72 challenges that they'll face for their 18 holes um and that's underpinned now by this this view that they need to have a strong positive relationship with learning and i think just the 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 sideline to that of course is that is the life skills that we want to promote or we want to these kids to, to to develop into decent human beings and i think again golf's a great facilitator for that just by the nature of the sport so we we have that in the back of our minds but it all falls so much back down to these kids being accountable and accepting responsibility for themselves mm. i suppose with golf as you said it, it the general nature of the beast in that it instills in you like uh, following the rules um you know f- fair play at all times it, it you know that there, there isn't many sports still left i suppose that where you have that level of integrity in in the sport like i'm not going to list them here but you know where a professional golfer especially has has gone against that it's you know it's one of the worst things that could possibly ever happen i i suppose in my golf journey um if we could call it that um the, the, the probably that element of it was always i've always found that really interesting but i suppose the bit that's always been more of a challenge with golf i suppose is 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 the resistance you get when you're growing up but even now against like these really snobby golf clubs you know just this general kind of i don't know like you mentioned at the beginning like members shouting at you and stuff like that like i think things have got better but there's still an element of that and i think it acts as a big barrier still for yeah yeah for sure which is silly it's it's not just kids i mean we, we we the same the same restrictions um still exist and we see that uh through some of the feedback we get particularly from some of the women that we're trying to encourage into the sport we're running a a great program with a colleague of mine called alistair spink and he would be one actually that you could talk to he's fantastic mm. and that the what he's done to transform women's golf in this country has has been remarkable but um he conducted endless amounts of research on this but you know it's it's it starts in the car park david is you know a a woman walking into the golf course by herself for the very first time is going to feel really oppressed yeah um and that's before she's encountered a guy in his plus fours right yeah (laughs) it's a stereotype i apologize for that but it happens it does happen i see it (laughs) i see it i see it on on a weekly basis and i see it um i see discrimination from adults to kids frequently um and and the irony being that uh, these adults um practicing these levels of discrimination 
couldn't hit a cow's ass with a banjo you know, yeah, that, that, you know that's always that's, the case yeah that's it that's it so we're doing our best at the Hartsmere, where i'm based now to to completely transform these stereotypes we want to make it free and accessible everything that we try to do is designed around what a complete novice would feel like when they drove into the car park what they would feel like when they walk into reception in the driving range or walk into the to the um to the restaurant or whatever we just want them to feel like it's open and welcoming and the same with the kids um and ultimately the, you know these people who don't play it's not just kids right people who don't play are the future of the sport yeah exactly. you know we've got to do what we can to encourage them into that but um it's with alistair's help and um he's got some friends as well and we're trying to unlock um i guess the the, the secret code to get many different demographic into into the sport at whatever level right playing golf doesn't mean you've got to play 18 holes and be a member of a club you know we want them to come and experience it and to try it out and to to have fun doing so um so yeah it's it's uh we're on a great journey where we're at and and mm. the kids are obviously at the forefront of that so what um made you want to formalize your coaching approach gavin was because i can imagine you going onto a course having these ideas using gut intuition feel and actually now we're seeing from you know, a coach education development perspective, that that's probably one of the strongest ways for people to learn. Would you face some challenges with uh, people who are trying to educate you on these courses and you're going, mm, I don't feel that, I don't see that? Or was it plain sailing for you through your formal coach education? No, um, I, I still feel that there are many challenges in, in national governing bodies, uh, golf clubs, management, you know, golf course owners. There are challenges every step of the way and i think when you're looking at inspiring a a new golfer to play for a lifetime they are you you've got to look at this from the perspective of a lifetime's worth of investment how much is that one person going to contribute to the sport it shouldn't be about the short-term gain we know that kids get a break on on membership and green fees and discounts here there and everywhere which is the right way to do it that there still needs to be a cost in place and we shouldn't give it away mm. but um you, you've got to play the long game i think when you, you're in a position of authority because you have to protect the future and and do whatever you can to drive participation and to make your sport as open and accessible as you possibly can it's the only thing you can do to grow the game and i think the custodians of our clubs and our um national organizations i think need to be a little bit more transparent with that because i don't feel that they are hmm. so did you ever have any sort of button heads with a coach educator trying to say you don't want to do it like that you want to do it like this um not butting heads as such because i just i basically switched off and left the room maybe <laughs> yeah. um and that would that would happen when things would get far too technical hmm. you know uh, in terms of you know what what um some might feel kids need to learn in on a technical perspective and look i'm not saying that we don't teach kids technical stuff at all but the, it's the process of coaching that's got to be different and, and how these kids acquire these skills and if we want the kids to i mean look let's let's just quickly talk about wrist hinge right we talk about wrist hinge as a solution 
to getting the ball up in the air right if you don't hinge your wrists and hinge them correctly it's very difficult for the club face to rotate through impact so you're not really going to get the ball up in the air that much so that's got to be driven by a motivating belief right from the player it's like well i can't get the ball over the water i need to get i need to get the ball higher or mm. i need to get it over the bush or whatever over the bunker and there's got to be motivation for them to want to do that and it's, they've got to come to you it's like how do i get the ball up in the air more what do i got to do and we then have to present the information to them so they first of all have this level of cognizance and then putting that knowledge into practice so that they can uh, they can apply it and understand it better no you just can't tell them that the club's got to be in this position there's got to be many reasons there's layers behind why it's got to be in that position but mm -hmm. it, it, it's a process to get to that point and my 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 gripe with the the, the technical coach is that they'll just plow straight on in there and start doing the technical stuff without the background mm. i mean we, it's the what that that level of cognizance is is um i think for me is the first part of, of a player developing acquiring a new skill right i mean it's um they've got to understand why they need to do it uh, and and what it's all about before they can apply it practically mm -hmm. and we we skim over that as coaches far too quickly and when i look at what my outcomes are for a session you know it's like firstly do they understand what i'm asking them to do and the reasons behind it if it's a tick then yeah i've done my job we can move on but i'll present the same topic in a different way next week perhaps mm -hmm. you know you can teach aim how to aim with a putter with a with a driving with a driver with a with a seven iron with a with a sandwich right and so it's the same conversation in different scenarios which you have to address and so you, you you mentioned breaking it down into bite-sized chunks before yes you have to break it down into bite-sized chunks because that one shot that you have on the golf course is a bite-sized chunk that you need a solution for mm. right so yeah it's it's a it's a big piece I, I feel like it's moving in the right direction but i think again it just we've got to peel back more of these layers and that's where i think what i feel like is very untapped is this understanding behind a kid particularly in this case then having a relationship with learning and be learning being the key motivator for them coming back week on week because it's the success that they feel it's it's i mean you're never gonna it doesn't matter what it is that you play any any activity game board game whatever if 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 you're not very good at it you're just not going to play it mm. right if you keep getting beaten at monopoly you're just going to give up aren't you yeah um so <laughs> You know it's it's like it's the same with golf and you've got to feel like you're moving forward you've got to feel like you're progressing and if you own that process yourself it, it's it's really soulful and it goes deep you could see the looks on the kids faces it, it's it's different it's very different and that's what i've experienced recently um which i'm motivated now to try and communicate to coaches around the world just to let them feel what i'm feeling when i see the kids in front of me it's different it's different and uh whether we like to say it or not this underpins a, a coach's livelihood because mm -hmm. they become better coaches the kids and the students adults whatever they stick at it for longer they're customers for longer your business is bulletproof because of this so it, it's a it's a concept that i think has to be given some credence um you know i've i've drawn my uh learnings from people inside the classroom from experts in the classroom actually as opposed to sport and i've taken 
many different views and perspectives and mushed them together and applied it to my own coaching and I said this is where I'm seeing now the output from from that um and it's great I'm loving it I think it's interesting you mentioned obviously you know uh, this I would call it the punter for life concept there can't be many sports where you've got such a large <laughs> such a window of where you've got someone if you can get them as a kid could still be playing well into their well there's people playing in their 90s isn't there oh, so it, yeah. it, 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 when you look at it from that economic view is is that a view that's kind of widely shared in the golfing kind of business should we call it that well development development and growing the game cannot happen unless your business is sustainable yeah just doesn't so we have to look at how we protect the future of the sport and bulletproofing that is about this concept of playing the long game and and, and having your punter for life you know and you can you can enjoy golf in many different ways now and and there's an argument to suggest that it's slightly diluted which i agree it could be but it's okay to come and play six holes it's okay just to come and hit a bucket of balls yeah it's okay to play 18 holes do what you want it's okay mm. um but you know it's it's that it, as soon as you start to put these constraints around it then i think you start to turn people off um but ultimately we've got we've got to make sure that we do a better job as an industry to communicate that and i think still just communicate to people that there are solutions to help them enjoy the game more mm. and you know what go and, go and take a take a lesson go and spend a bit of time with your coach subscribe to a program you'll enjoy it you'll enjoy the process um so yeah yeah i i, I would endorse that as some I, to be fair i've not played as much golf in the last few years as i as i would like to with a small son running around but I cut like you were saying before around um I think more from a kid's perspective but it's the same with adults it, golf is and I'm not trying to put people off it's it is a challenging game but there can't be many feelings when you hit a ball properly Oof. or you you know you connect with a drive or even just a lovely chip it's so satisfying and you could, like I'm speaking from from experience you could have spent like that could have been on the 18th great like chipping onto the 80s group you spent the whole rest of the round literally just spraying it everywhere but that last chip so to speak on that 18th onto the 80 green if it's a brilliant that is the thing you're going to remember from that exactly. round of golf. it's crazy and, and, and you know what it's like don't you for that to only happen once for you to have to come back more <laughs> exactly that's that's the other bit it, and when i look at it from looking at you from the gossip we're mugs <laughs> like, you do just uh, keep coming back and it's yeah and that i suppose that's what annoys me the most around like the barriers that are put up to stop people playing and and i agree with you it has got better but it's still there's still barriers there and i suppose as well like the money aspect as well like golf is not necessarily the the cheapest sport to get into because naturally you need some equipment but um i don't know is is that something that as a business or as a as an organization that is starting to change on that front i suppose uh well i can only speak from our perspective but we we uh we lend golf clubs to all shapes and sizes when they come yeah. to our garden range you know we've got great tech technology at our driving range the top tracer technology is really cool you can interact with that 
on, yeah. on multiple levels. But if you don't have any equipment, you just come and borrow a set. If you're a kid, you come borrow some clubs. It's all good. See, that's, that's good to hear. And I like where I live now. I, I think I'm probably not that far from where you are, actually. But there's um, a top golf around the corner. And I must admit, I have been to other top golfs, but for this one, I'll be honest, the, the clientele, whenever I go there, is kind of me. <laughs> that's, it's middle-aged white men um, most yeah. of the time. Whereas, I'll be honest, I've been to not just, I say, I've been to other top golf, and that's a bit more, uh, there's a bit more less me's. But I'm, I am seeing in other driving ranges that I've been to, recently, the, there is a lot more, maybe we call it diversity of players, in that it isn't just old white people just yes. warming up for the weekend kind of you thing. Know, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you something amazing that happened. I've got a picture just to back it up. But um, earlier this summer, I, I did some summer camps. I had 22 kids on one of the weeks this summer. And of the 22 kids that we had, not one of those children would be classified as white. Mm. which I, I was just i was blown away by i was i was i loved every second of it it's absolutely fantastic um it was such a a multiracial um group you know very very diverse and you know that and they all got on really well together and, and it was just great it, i mean i didn't realize until i looked at the picture um of, uh, a week later or so I'm like, oh wow that's that's incredible and that that shows I think a little snapshot of, of some of the barriers being broken down um, for sure. Um, but we still have a long way to go. For God's sake, still have a long way to go. One of the things I suppose, and this makes me sound quite hard, but uh, before we had, before COVID hit, I think I remember I was, I did used to be a member of a, a golf club and then um, just, I kind of didn't have time to kind of make the most of it. So I ended up just playing uh, using like these online petite booking things. And I'd say probably the three, four years before COVID hit, you could see there were golf clubs that were struggling and they were literally just throwing tea times onto these platforms. Yeah. And and then COVID came. Obviously, COVID, the first bit of it wasn't great for golf clubs, but the when the golf clubs did open, I did see this massive kind of return of people mm. not that, you know, that may have played golf years previously had got back into it is that kind of bump if we call it that is that still there or has no, it dropped off or no, it's, dro it's dropped off for sure and um those that got greedy are finding things going a little bit tougher yeah um what you needed to do was to, to build on it by making it more accessible by refining your product and you know breaking down more barriers and and yeah. you know just uh, applying a bit of sense to what to what you do you know it's yeah. it's um yeah because uh, i'm a member of a separate club as well but i won't mention names but you know it's it's the, the club where i'm at you know the the the, the flags at half mast every week right god yeah. rest their souls but that's indicative of the demographic mm. and it, it's indicative of some of the decisions that are being made or have been made at this golf club decisions around development and progression and sustainability for the future protecting yourselves against that they've had several opportunities just to change things up a little bit that would have meant for a massive bright future and they chose not to do it to protect their own immediate interests which is really sad really mm. sad indeed mm. um and, and again you don't need to 
you don't need to do it's not like i'm talking you have to invest millions to do stuff like this it's it face mm. more changes that can often have a big difference but um yeah it's it you know just if, if you can present golf as an activity that's not going to break the bank an activity yeah. where you're going to be welcomed where you know actually what you're going to get when you go there then i think golf speaks for itself it, it's got its own attraction hasn't it? it and it's it's particularly addictive and even if you don't play on the course and you just go to a driving range you know yeah. you'll hit one or two shots that will want you to come back for more mm. so i think it's uh, it's fascinating yeah so, in my case one maybe <laughs> <laughs> so you're not too far away from me now you we, no, we, I know. That's what I was just thinking that yeah so, you know with my mental health and well-being background i think golf is a, a, a wonderful fit for that as well though isn't it, it you is, know you're yeah. out in nature you're walking you're being physically active you can be social or not social it gives you that sense of achievement when you do hit that one like dave said even if you get that one that's the shot that you hold on to that brings you back. You go, oh, yeah, I can do it. Um, so do you use a constraints-based type of, of approach? It is very much um, because, you know, I know when I play, when someone's with me who's had more formal lessons, they will critique my uh, style, uh, you know. But if it works for me and it gets me the outcomes I want, that can be sometimes where someone says, oh, I've yeah. got to unpick what you're doing to try and make it look no. like it should look. No, and... no, see, that doesn't make sense, though. That doesn't yeah. make sense. It's got yeah. to be functional, Simon. Mm. That's all. It doesn't matter how you do it. And actually, you know, if 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 you if you came to me and I would I would evaluate your game and I'd, I'd obviously figure out what you wanted to achieve. Mm. And then I would give you my assessment as to whether that was achievable or not. Um, but I would then tell you why it wouldn't be uh, or why things aren't working currently based obviously on what you're doing but look at the end of the day the the bit that matters for me is is the direction that the club is swinging in and where your club face is pointing yeah how you how you deliver the club through that point is can be a, a multitude of different ways you just have to look at the top 100 players in the world to see how different their swings are mm, mm. um we saw we saw on show at the Ryder Cup um so it, this isn't about reinventing the wheel it's about again for you in this particular case give you a level of understanding so you know what the fault is so if you had a bad shot appreciate what actually happened look at the fact where mm. did the ball go how did it get there what created that ball flight then you can figure out what the fault is and then you can you can take a step forward from that point and that's again me empowering you with the responsibility to make a change yeah um and it could be how you stand it could be how you hold it it could be where the club face is pointing at the start it could be anything but mm. you know um I, I wouldn't certainly i i well i definitely do not completely change what somebody has because the 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 scar tissue is too deep in in uh mm. in 99 .9 percent of the golfers that we come across so you're not going to change it and plus they don't have time to change it yeah. So what we've got to do is we've got to be efficient in what we tell them to do. We've got to make sure they have the knowledge, make sure they've got some solutions, get out on the golf course and put these solutions into place. And then they're going to go out happier because they may be three or four shots better than what they have been. That's the beauty of it. Because I used to, um, is it called Tri-Golf? A little mini golf bag that you used to get um, yeah. with little plastic yeah. things in there. And I used to teach that in PPA time and after school club stuff. And I, I took some of the ideas from those games. So there's a game in there called Bomb the Base, 
which yeah. is about hitting the ball to get it to left. Now, I just took that and said, right, we're going to work on lofted passing. And I would play it in football. And yeah. I say, here's the scoring system. You know, but similar to what you've said about uh, the children creating their own thing, you know, you can have – it used to be a football bib, put it on the floor, and you can either have it out and open so it's a bigger target area, or you can make it smaller and try and then land the ball on it. And then show me a variety of ways you can try to get the ball from here to there. Yeah. So inside of the foot, outside of the foot, big chip. And they then explore it. They come up with the scoring system. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that th those games in that tri-golf, those mini-golf were brilliant. I just yes. was like, oh, yeah, I'm magpie and knees and taking them to, to football as well. Is there anything that you, you've become proud of at, with your approach or anything else within your career where you go, you know what, when I reflect back on that time or that moment, that was something that I was supremely proud of. Um, so that's a very interesting question. I've not really thought about it that way because it's a bit more general than that for me. It, it's a it's it's feelings over a period of time that you're doing the right thing, you know, but. The, the the conversely to that it's it's little moments that do it for me you know it's 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 a five second smile mm. it's seeing kids cheer when they they make a shot it's it's little things really it's it's nothing quite as big and as grand um i know that throughout my career i've probably had the privilege of changing the pathway of maybe five six kids lives mm -hmm just by inspiring them to play. And, and I, I think I will include my eldest son in that, to be fair. Um, so I think it's, yeah, it, the, the, the game itself is, is wholly responsible for that, I think. But Because um, your eldest son is a professional golfer, isn't he, I think? He is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. Playing, he's playing this week in uh, on the DP World Tour in Qatar. Nice. So, yeah, so hoping to take that top step. With your own son, because I, I try to teach my own son stuff in football, and I know that can be a challenging relationship coaching your own child. Did you coach your own child or not? Yeah, up to a point. Yeah, up yeah. to a point. With golf um, or yeah, everything, other... golf and football. Yeah. Um, and we just we we play so many sports. Yeah. Together, in the backyard or or you know formally, casually, whatever. Um, but golf was up to a point. Yeah, I would coach him really up to 17 years old 18 and now i i'm probably what i classify as the ceo of his journey we've got a manager we've got uh the manager i'll probably call the um chief operations officer mm -hmm. i've got his coach who i'll call his chief technical officer <laughs> uh caddy um yeah. director of logistics um you know it's so we've got a team of people now that 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 basically um, are getting him to where he needs to get to. Um, so, yeah, it, it was a fascinating journey growing up, but um, it was very, very challenging. For both of them, it was. You know, yeah. I've got, his, his, I've got uh, his younger brother caddying for him this week. Mm. Uh, so that's quite nice for that to have evolved, um, a little byproduct that I didn't expect. So I imagine that was an immensely proud moment. The, the that day was, where yeah. That he... happened um, 
last June for the first time, actually. Mm. Um, and they got on really well. And they, they you know, it, it, Josh is, is, is a live wire and Ethan is a flatliner. So they're complete opposites. And yeah. um, the I think, you know, the, 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 the beef and the gripe they have with each other is that just one's too hyper or the other one's too relaxed. <laughs> but uh no you're right there that's that was a, that was a really proud moment on a on a personal family level mm. so if you were to summarize your philosophy is there a way that you could sum it up you know because we do get a lot of coaches from different sports listening and if they could you know magpie something from your approach it would be amazing if they they could pick up and cherry pick some idea or you know perspective i, I think we've we've sort of picked it up as we've gone through but if you could go, this is where my focus is now, because it sounds like this period that you're in, you know, it, it's been growing and developing over a long time. You yeah, know, yeah, you're sure. shaping, you're shaping and refining it by the sounds of it all yeah. the time as well. Yeah. But what's the core? What's it's at the core of how you approach things? Um, I think it's it's very definitive actually, and and for me, it's it's about having these kids fall in love with learning, mm -hmm. fall in love with getting better, and everything that that is in and around that you know so you know it's falling in love with learning or, or being better within yourself there's a there's a mental approach to that there's a physical approach there's a level of, of determination that you've got to have with that um but when you go through this process of making learning the heart of everything that you do in your particular sport excuse me it means that the the, the kids are responsible for their own journey and mm -hmm. I think that when they are, that means more to them. Uh, it, it becomes something that they own. And, and that, for me, propels them into the future. It, it, it gives them reason to play. It gives them reasons to love it and to stick at it for a longer period of time. And, and as I said, if, if you don't love the sport enough, you're never going to become an elite player at any sport. You've got to love it so much. Um, you know, I saw the Beckham documentary recently. I thought that was mm. fascinating. And, um, you know... I, I liked him as well, um, even before this. Um, my family continually take the mickey out of me for having had five Beckham haircuts in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Not even a Man United fan. Uh, he was never bad. He was never bad to Arsenal, actually. So that was all right. Um, but no, he pulled himself through some real dark moments because mm. he loved it so much. Mm. And um, you know, I see other sportsmen pulling themselves through some really dark moments. Lewis Hamilton, particularly, I think, yeah. is one um and other tragedies that you might have that that players have, have experienced whatever it might be they um they pull themselves through and come out the other side because uh they have this deep-rooted love for their sport so mm. um i think that's it for me that relationship with learning and i think if i have um a, a motto of such that we've always tried to live by it's 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 a bit of a cliche unfortunately i think but it's that the the journey is the dream right you have to enjoy that process you have to enjoy learning but that that whole journey is 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 really important to um to contextualize why you're doing it you know it's the reason i encourage josh to explore local cultures i mean he spent last christmas uh playing a tournament in taiwan by himself you know um so like go, go on the bullet train uh, experience local restaurants in the nightlife um but play good golf um you know go 
go to Hong Kong. He went to Hong Kong on his way back. He spent Boxing Day and the 27th last year in Hong Kong um, and loved it. But he's got a fascination with planes. And so he went to where the old Pai Tak Airport was. Um, He went on to Checkerboard Hill, which is um, it's a side of a cliff that's painted red and white squares so that the planes could have a, a point uh, that they knew they needed to bank before dying. Um, you know, just things like that. But so, so that em- embracing of the journey and, and the cultures that you go in as a, as a worldwide golf player was, was an important part of it. And I think it's the same in team sports. You get the opportunity to travel, go and embrace it and embrace the cultures. I mean, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that the Arsenal team in Sevilla tonight not, wouldn't have had much free time, but they might have had a bit of a walk around the city at some point. Go and enjoy it. Yeah, it it it's it's. I suppose we we've had this conversation with a number of other coaches, and one thing that comes up from time to time, or quite regularly actually, is is it's not necessarily just about creating a sport person, but actually a, a rounded person, and 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 not to be too cynical, but if you can create a more rounded person, I think it has a big impact on on the sport person as well. And, and, and especially in golf, like there's good examples of, of golfers that have followed this route and, um, have, have done quite well. I, I suppose Brooks Kepka is probably the, the good example of it that came over and, and like your son playing on the DP world challenge tour and he was playing around the world and look where he is now. So it's, yeah, you know, it. it's not a bad path to follow. Yeah. And, and golf should not be the reason you exist. Yeah, I'll say that. I mean, there, there are far more important <clears throat> things. And I always try to, I mean, Josh is an ambassador for the ADHD Foundation, and it's just trying to give back in a little way Yeah, that can help one other kid. And mm-hmm. I know he does that. Um, he probably doesn't realise the impact he, he often has, but it is massively impactful to those that have no clear pathway. You know, parents that are at their, their, their wits' end, you know, that can't see a way out. You know, they can see a little beacon of light from somebody who's experienced it and come out the other end. And so I think having ulterior motives, there are more important things than the sport that you play. And I think that can sometimes take the pressure off. Hmm. Yeah, I think I think you're right. It, it's just having that well-rounded approach to life. It has many benefits of doing that. Exactly. exactly. I mean, we, we had a, a fascinating um, clinical psychologist on recently, Dr. Naomi Murphy. And she started to work with more elite performers, uh, not just in sport, but in business as well. And she introduced us to these um, Roshi Wave glasses. I yeah. don't know if, have you heard of them, Gavin? No. Um, so they, you put them on for about 20, 30 minutes, apparently, and it gets you into a flow state. Um, so it can. So I can see that the pressure in golf is quite high on occasions. Um, so dealing with that, processing that is a skill that someone needs to to learn most definitely. And she uses these glasses where they put them on and they stimulate the mind in a way that it gets you into a flow state and reduces the anxiety in and around that. And I was just wondering if you'd come across it or no, similar but I'm sort of go technology to the shop right now. I'm <laughs> <going> <laughs> now to get because you know she's saying it, it really is fascinating how and she said she used another platform in prisons because that's what her background was working with prisoners and and using it as part of a trauma um sort of processing tool to help people work through things and um they look fascinating and i didn't know if you'd come across them and someone had used them in a golfing context to go you know what i had and 
you know, it had a mate because to get into that flow state, as we know, as a as a sports person, where you you know you're very present and you understand what's happening, how you're doing it. And I know when I played football, when I had that glimpse of, you know, nothing was going bad. Everything was going well. And I've heard of Johnny Wilkinson referencing it when he's done it uh, to an elite level. So I don't know. Is that something that players can learn? Do you think uh, golfers can learn that trying to work towards that flow state? Because I think Johnny Wilkinson to believe he, he can get into that state, but I think wearing well, some glasses would be helpful. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you, you maybe couldn't do it during the round, but I think the one yeah. problem with golf is that the the, the, the environment changes so drastically yeah. from shot to shot, mm. you know? Um, yeah. And I think it's, it's sometimes, I think at best you can dip in and out mm. of, of kind of conscious states, if you like. Yeah. Um, and I know we've tried meditation and stuff like that, and, and there's elements of success, but I mean, you look for small percentage gains. So um, I will definitely explore these classes. <laughs> that's, that's what we said as well. We're waiting yeah. to try and get out. We can get three for two. Three for yeah, five for exactly. two. Exactly. Well, Naomi's open to it. So, uh, you yeah, know, we can connect you and you can have a chat with her. And she also does her own podcast. It could be a, a, yeah, a great be a two for yeah, one offer. Uh, um, so uh, we we do usually ask about a quote. So I know you've mentioned that one. The journey is the dream. Um, yes, that's it. Would that be that? Would be the one that you would go? Yeah, that that's the one yeah. that and um, we yeah. encourage with young people. And yeah. that links to that process driven uh, approach. Of course and... it does. Of course it does. And I think um, I think the the, the problem. The problem I have with with some athletes is that um, they they reach a certain level or achieve a certain goal and they think they're done. They think they've mm. reached the pinnacle, and that there should be no pinnacle that is achievable. You've got to keep driving and pushing yourself forward, um, continually looking to improve yourself or the way that you do things. Mm. And that whole process is what you've got to enjoy and love, um, because I think it's very dangerous once you get to the uh, get to the peak or the perceived peak. You know, it's like, what do Man City do this year? Mm. You know, they won a treble last year. Um, they're not looking great. Mm. Um, has there been a drop-off in mentality? You know, yeah. there's only mm. one way to go when you're at the top. Yeah. Exactly. And so, I think that links to it. I think they said <clears throat> some billionaires, when they get to a certain level, they become depressed because they go, mm. well, I've got everything. What else is there for me to do? And unless they have that different approach to, I'm going to learn this, I'm going to learn that, like you said, there, it's 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 about embracing the the wider yeah. elements of life and the world, yeah. and it not yeah. defining you as I am just this, um, because once you go I am just a golfer, I am just a footballer, um, it, it really narrows your bandwidth, doesn't it? It doesn't give yeah. you that rich experience Absolutely. of life. Absolutely. And I think to keep kicking on, and I think it links to we've had a couple of guests on. Kelly Cross is the academy director at Sydney FC in Australia, and um, you know. Uh, Martin Dyson, who's the UK coach and senior coach developer around. Uh, there's a guy in Australia called Mark Upton. And I don't know if you've ever heard of Uppy and how they measure or how he encourages it. This wayfinder approach where you go, right, my life, my process and these waypoints where I try to navigate my learning points. They, they could link to that because then it's that conversation with you, the coach, um, maybe even your parents uh, involved where you go, I've learned this from this situation. And it's almost like they put a little yeah. point in the ground 
which gives them the next stage to go off of. Almost yeah. if you're climbing a mountain sort of thing, yeah. you know, there's a base camp here and then we go to the next stage. I don't know if you use similar tools to help uh, young people just plot their journey and reflection points and help them recognize this is where I was and this is where I am now. Do you take that type of approach? Because um, I think that can help them. Um, yeah, for sure. In the dark times, not recognize. Um, yeah. You always have to look at where you started, mm. where you're going, but where you are now. Yeah. There's, there's got to be context with, with where you're at. And, and, you know, I never want anyone to be satisfied with where they're at, but I want them mm. to, to appreciate what they've done. Mm -hmm. um and appreciate the work that they put in so yeah we review that for sure um I, I i quite like the the structured kind of putting a flag in the ground or putting a marker down and saying right there we go and and so that becomes a little bit more visible whether that's um you know something physical that you 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 give or or award whatever it might be mm -hmm. then um yeah, that might that that might be a visual that can be uh, related to a little bit more, I think. But yeah, certainly it's something we look at. They linked it um, at Sydney FC in particular because I went out there when I was on holiday, and it, it links to the behaviours. You know, the the things that you like, that accountability, yeah. that responsibility. Yeah. Share some times where you've got clear evidence that was you doing that, and it helps them then recognise. I can be accountable, I can be responsible, and I've got clear evidence. And, you know, they would look at it, if they ever had to release a young player because they didn't quite make the standard, they would say, well, look at the transferable skills that you've acquired yeah. over that time and, you know, how that you can then draw on that for your future you, whatever that looks like in your career. Yeah. And it could be away from uh, golf yeah, completely sure. or sport, but it goes, you know what, this is what sport has helped me develop. And, um, you know, going back to creating it not creating a young person but helping a young person develop mm -hmm. um it just gives them those those points where they can go oh yeah i remember back when when i was with gavin you know at that club at yeah. that time and i really do remember that time where i took responsibility i didn't blame others and it helped me grow and develop and be that person that i've become today so mm -hmm. yeah i really like that 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 sort of approach where we are helping people become better versions of themselves consistently as yeah, they absolutely. work through their, their 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 journey so dave have you got any final yeah, thoughts observations well, what i was gonna ask um obviously i'm asking for a friend not myself but if the <laughs> people listening how can they you know find out more about what you offer where can they find you um how can they come about getting lessons etc <laughs> <laughs> you've got um, the blood flow back in to play golf again yeah I, you know and and i could teach you and your son at the same time you see because the concept <laughs> is the same yeah. um so uh just, just you know i can be reached out through through instagram really and in whether you're a coach or, or an aspiring player or a complete novice um so my instagram is gavin gw13 um I post a lot of stuff on there there's a little bit of family stuff on there but generally it's about coaching and development and and um golf particularly uh and then on my linkedin page as well where you can you can go and find me so it's it's uh it's just all about my journey as as um as a coach ultimately in the stuff that i find and and just out there trying to help people brilliant well we'll share that on the um on the show notes as well and uh 
I'm going to have a look. Because <laughs> you do do extensive coach development as well, Gavin, don't you? Worldwide. Yeah, yeah. It's not just yeah, yeah. In, in the UK. Because um, we haven't really touched on that. But that that's something that, again, you're, you're, you're leading uh, lots yeah, of yeah. great stuff that's happening in that yeah. sort of area and yeah. sharing your knowledge. So I think for any coach with aspirations of just learning more, because I think this is what's coming across to me. It's about the teaching, the environment, the creation of that. And you don't have to be sports specific with that. No, you could go to one of your workshops and still learn and develop and then yeah. apply it in that different yeah. context. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Brilliant. I've really enjoyed it, Dave. You yeah, know, again, yes. an hour and a half has flown by. Yeah. And again, it feels like we're scratching the surface of what Gavin's we doing. Are. So if are, your yeah. friend does go down and uh, have some lessons, it would be great for you to feed back what it your would, friend yeah. says, Dave. <laughs> it would, it would, yeah. Obviously your yeah. friend, yeah. <laughs> Gavin, thank you so much for yeah, giving up your time and for sharing, uh, you know, your thoughts on coaching, player development, etc. Very welcome. And um, we, we really appreciate your time and uh, we'll share with you uh, this with you within the next week or so so you can yeah, you know put it out on your platform sounds yeah, good thanks, all right guys. Thanks, thanks very much, much gavin all the best take care